This episode's a little longer than usual. There was a lot to talk about, but I hope you enjoy it anyway. It's very urgent that I tell you about the genesis of Draco's cat story when he uh, when he's asked how he got his scars and he tells that elaborate taxi cat in a taxi story. It's a whole tale. Uh, it's it's a, it's a real strap in is what I'm saying. Some years ago, in the before times, when you could still leave your house and see people and touch them, uh, I went out with some friends and uh, then we got a taxi home at the end of a night out. And it was me and two other friends and we got in this taxi and we were having a typical late night conversation about how many cats we thought we could take on, right? You know, your normal stuff. And I was saying something like, well, I reckon I could probably take on like five cats, And then we pulled up to one of my friend's house and they got out of the taxi. And then the taxi driver turns around and says, I have to tell you a story. So my friend Ed and I were like, "Uh, great, yes, pray go on with your narrative, sir. And so the taxi driver starts talking and he instantly enters into this story as if it is like a novel that he has been quietly writing in his head for years without ever having told anyone a word of it. He's like, 1993, February, a very cold, cold winter. Luckily, as well, if it had not been so cold, I tell you, I do not think I would be alive now. But it was, fortunately, and I was wearing a scarf. A young man gets into my cap. He is holding a cat carrier. I say, you know, oh, you cannot come in with your cat carrier. It's a policy. But he says, please, sir, please. It is my cat's last taxi trip. He is going to the vet to be put down. And I... It's weird that the passenger had the same accent as the <laughs> My husband keeps interrupting with witticisms. It's very unhelpful. Uh, so, <laughs> so, where was I? I let this man come in with his cat because I am a good man. And I knew that this man needed to bring his cat to the vet. And so he comes in. And he closes the door. But as we are driving, he opens up the cat carrier. And the cat comes out of the carrier. And I say, sir, you cannot open the cat carrier inside the taxi. And he says, go, cat, go. And the cat climbs up to the front of the, of the taxi. And he starts to claw at me. He's clawing at me. And he's a huge cat. I cannot express to you how large this cat is. He's very big with big red eyes. Burning, angry eyes. And he's clawing at me. And instead of stopping him, the passenger is saying, go, cat, have your fun while you can. And now I know why they are going to put down this cat. I had not known before, but now I can see. And he's scratching at my neck. And look, if I had not been wearing this scarf look look and at this point he actually turns around he's driving I think actually at this point he pulled over the car and he he turns over to us and takes his like collar down and shows us a scar on his neck and he goes look it has been 20 years and this neck scar is still here and if I had not been wearing my scarf I tell you he would have killed me this cat he would have killed me and so finally finally I managed to tear the cat away from my skin with his claws and I thrust the cat back at his owner and I kick the cat and the cat owner out of my car. And ever since then, I have disliked cats very much and I know what cats are capable of. But, and we were like, oh, there's more to the story. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Uh, But, sometime afterwards, I never tell anyone this story. I never tell a soul. But sometime afterwards, I drive home, long day of taxi driving, and I get to my house, and I park my car in front of my house. And a cat jumps on top of the car, a big cat, 
you know, a kind of cat who could do some serious damage, you know, and I would know. And so I don't know what to do. I start, I turn the engine back on and I start driving back and forth and back and forth in the hope that I will make the cat jump off. But instead, the cat is lulled by the whirring of the engine and curls up in a little cat ball in front of my car. I cannot get out of the car. The cat is right there. If I get out of the car, the cat will, will, will have access to me. And so I'm driving back and forth and back and forth until finally my wife, oh my wife, she's a good lady. She must have seen from the window my predicament and she comes downstairs and she takes a broom and she bravely attacks that cat with that broom and I come back inside the house and we never speak of it again <laughs> so by this point we've arrived outside my house and like we've been waiting to get out of the car because obviously you can't get out of the car in the middle of this like absolutely riveting narrative uh and my friend Ed and I kind of don't quite know what the correct response is because I I can't express enough to you how much it felt as if this was something he had been holding in his heart for many many years and had never before spoken to anyone about right it felt it felt like this was the trauma of his life that he had just spilled to us. And and he also said something like, he at the end, I think he said something like, um, so when I hear you talking about how you can take on cats, I knew I had to tell you. I had to let you know. <laughs> and it just it was just sort of a magical moment. And then when finally we got out of the car, and when I looked around back at the taxi, he was just sitting still with his head resting on the steering wheel. And I just thought, God, you know... <laughs> in that moment I was like I cannot wait to use this at some point in a story and so what a delight that I was finally able to make use of this excellent moment uh in can I tell you something I wrote this fic uh right after I'd written the bucket list uh and I was in Taiwan when I wrote it I was in Taiwan in late January early February of 2020 so just before the onset of the plague and just a brief moment. I know I'm doing mainly red herrings in this episode so far, but uh, let's talk about Taiwan. Did you guys know that almost nowhere recognizes Taiwan as a real country? It's very weird because if you go to Taiwan, it's abundantly clear that it is a real country, that it is a democracy that's extremely civilized, uh, more civilized, in fact, than most of the countries in the West, I would say. And yet, like, okay, wait, let me just read to you the list of countries that recognize Taiwan. Because, okay, the reason why is that you you can't recognize Taiwan as a country and have dealings with China. Um, so here's the list. Belize, Guatemala, Haiti, Holy See, that's the Vatican, right? Yeah. Uh, Honduras, Marshall Islands, Nauru, which is an island made up of um, phosphate. So it's made up of bird droppings. And it was bought. Nauru is a great thing. They had a huge amount of money based on phosphate mining, and then they put it all into a West End production of the musical Leonardo. Wait, is this is this true? And it, it bankrupted. <laughs> they, they had to sell the island to uh, Australia. Is that really true? And now Australia keep uh, immigrants on it. So uh, Nauru, Nicaragua, Palau, Paraguay, Saint Lucia, Saint Kitts and Nevis, Saint Vincent and the Grenadines. Swaziland, which I think is now called Eswatini, and Tuvalu. So, um, you know, kudos to all those countries for recognizing what is obviously its own country, Taiwan. Uh, but yeah, no, no one else 
does. And they, I was reading about this and it's like they have these sort of um, like unofficial recognition because you can't actually have, for instance, like a, a, a Taiwanese embassy in Australia, right? Because then China will crush Australia. Um, but they have this kind of like pseudo embassy. I, I don't know. It's all very complicated. And um, the reason I bring this up in part um, is that I think it's really interesting when you come when it comes to uh complicating specifically American politics. So what's interesting about um, if I was Taiwanese American, I think I would have a harder time being left wing because uh, the Republicans are all for recognizing Taiwan as a country because that sticks it to China. Uh, So it's, you know, a form of their warmongering. But on the other hand, you know, Taiwan is is a country. Uh, So yeah, I don't know. I just think that's kind of interesting. But anyway, so I was in Taiwan when I was writing this. Um, Great country, lovely food, Um, lots of like cool stuff from ancient China because Chiang Kai-shek took a bunch of their treasures and brought it over. So I was there when I was writing it. Not that that really had much of an influence. I think, in fact, it had almost no influence, uh, with the exception of, I think at one point, Harry apprehends a Taiwanese potion smuggler. But uh, yeah, it was sort of not that relevant to the writing process. But I just wanted to do a PSA. I'm getting on my soapbox about Taiwan as a country. There's a lot of drugs in this fic and drinking, but I chose to use MDMA for the two scenes where Harry and Draco connect whilst one of them is high. Uh, the reason for this is that I think that MDMA as a drug is sort of singularly unthreatening when one is on it and also has something like a truth serum um, feeling, uh, I think. And so I really liked writing those scenes because I, I actually felt that it allowed for Harry and Draco to have these very soft, truthful interactions way before they have done anything to merit there being a soft and truthful interaction between them. I think it's very meaningful when Draco looks after Harry, uh, when Harry is on MDMA at Zachariah Smith's weird country manor house party. There's a singular feeling you get when you are vulnerable like that at a party and someone looks after you. Often some, in my experience, it's often someone who doesn't have any reason to look after you right it's often someone you don't really know that well and you kind of get home the next day and you're like god that that was random that like the guy I see sometimes at Starbucks was at that party and was just very nice to me like that's random and there's a a particular kind of affection uh you feel towards people who help you when you're in that vulnerable state because it it just seems like such a an abject form of human goodness, right? It's a pain to look after someone who's ill, but you do it because they need it in that moment, even though it's their own fault, right? Even though they've done something stupid and now it's inconveniencing you, you still do it because there's, you know, I mean, this is too wide a point to make, but, you know, because there's something inherently good at the heart of us all uh, that causes us to, you know, hold someone's hair as they throw up into a loo. So, I think that, um, and Harry talks about this in the fic, I think that the idea of Draco being so helpful to Harry in this moment is something that would really, really help Harry um, get over his sort of cynicism of the war. You know, this idea of like, well, actually, even someone like Draco Malfoy will will help me at this party if I need it. Uh, And I also quite liked writing the way that Draco helps Harry, because obviously Draco intimately knows what it's like to be on MDMA and so he helps Harry in all these ways where it 
it reflects not only that he's helping Harry, but also that he's craving MDMA. Because, for instance, you know, he puts on techno music for Harry to dance to, because clearly Draco wishes he could be on MDMA dancing to techno music. So, um, yeah, I thought I really liked writing that scene. One of the things I enjoyed about this fic is Zachariah Smith's weird country manor party. I think house parties are so interesting um, because, uh, frankly, I find clubbing deeply, deeply boring because you can't talk to anyone while you're doing it. Um, but house parties, house parties have all these ways that they that things can happen, right? They, they can be kind of magical um, because, you know, you find yourself in a bathroom with four other people who are all talking about their ex-boyfriends and suddenly you're best friends with all of them and it's just, like, really unpredictable considering that you're just in a house. Uh, and what's better than a house party than a manor house party? One of the things that was very interesting about this fic was uh, I was I was writing it as I was putting it up. And so I could see people's comments as I was writing it. And something that was very interesting was people's reactions to Michael, uh, because obviously Draco is in this very romantic relationship with Michael. And everyone really wanted Michael to be the Hammersmith murderer. Uh, I think they really wanted him to turn out to be evil, uh, which to be honest with you, hadn't even occurred to me. Like, I think if I was better at plotting, I would have been like, you know what? Michael's the murderer. But instead, I was just like, no, Michael's a nice guy that Draco's with. But I also, um, I prefer, I think it's more romantic if Michael is a good guy. Because then Draco is choosing between two good guys. And he chooses the one he loves more and more truly uh, and I, I think that that's just more romantic than it turning out that actually there was only one option I also had this interesting uh, interaction someone I think Instagrammed me and asked me about um about Michael they asked me I think they were upset at the notion that Michael's relationship with Draco might have been just as good as Harry's relationship with Draco and they were like do you think Michael and Draco uh, might ever get back together and I was like no because I really think that this story is all about timing. And Michael and Draco had their relationship ruined by Draco's drug use. And that was just irreparable, right? I don't think that Michael... I think Michael, uh, at the end of his relationship with Draco, feels as if he has sunk all the time he can into Draco and that he cannot give Draco any more chances. And I was trying to explain to this person, I was like, I just think that... Um, it's so difficult to date an addict that if you get out and get away from them, it's it's really a pretty large ask to ask them to get back together with that person, which is sometimes a problem I see in dry fix that are about drug use where, you know, they're together and then drug use breaks them apart and then they get back together again at the end. And it's, it's romantic, but I find, I always find this a little bit hard to believe, a little bit, because I just think dating an addict is, is so miserable that it mires the relationship in anguish and it's very hard to recover from that. Incidentally, if you ever have a question for me, uh, Instagram is a great way to ask me things. So uh, that's at let them eat books with underscores instead of spaces. You can always reach out to me there. So in the middle part of the fic, Harry writes Draco just like numberless letters uh, and Draco doesn't really answer back. And Harry kind of falls in love with Draco through writing him letters and not hearing anything from Draco, which I think is how you fall in love sometimes. Not always. And I think it's a dangerous way to fall in love. But sometimes you fall in love because someone allows you to spill yourself out to them. 
And the reason that's dangerous is that just because someone's a good listener doesn't mean that they're the right person for you, right? Just because someone is quiet doesn't mean that they are your true love. Um, There's a lovely Zora Neale Hurston quotation from uh, an excellent book called Their Eyes Were Watching God. It's very, very good. It's very uplifting um, and it makes you feel better about aging. If you're ever worried about aging, read Their Eyes Were Watching God. But anyway, um, there's this line where she she talks about um, that oldest human longing, self-revelation. And the idea that we all secretly just long to to reveal ourselves to someone. So Harry kind of falls in love with Draco because he's just having this opportunity to reveal himself to Draco. And it's almost a fluke that Draco then turns out to have been the right person to reveal himself to. We used to play this game in improv, uh, don't judge me, but um, it was this game where you'd have two people on stage and one person could only ever say like two words at a time and the other person would have to say 15 words at a time and it was really interesting because the scenes always turned out the same the person who had to say 15 words at a time would always end up being low status invariably the the two word person would come off very powerful and it would always seem like the the 15 word person was trying to impress the two word person and i think this reflects a, a reality in human interactions which is that people who talk a lot often come off as lower status than people who don't talk much. This bothers me because I am someone who talks a lot. (laughs) But uh, I think it's easy to mistake someone who's quiet for someone who is powerful or for someone who cares about you, which they don't necessarily care about you. They might just be quiet. Um, But it works out for Harry and Draco, so that's fine. This fic gets read less than a lot of my other fics. I think probably uh, because of the drugs, but also because of burlesque dancer Draco. I think that... I don't know. I think it gives people a, a, an idea that the figure is going to be very different from how it is. Um, the reason I wanted to write Balesk Draco is that really that was the start of the whole fic. I, um, so before I was in uh, Taiwan, I was in Australia. I don't travel that much, by the way. I just did then. I was in Perth uh, for Perth Fringe, which so a fringe festival is like a big arts festival with lots of different types of performance. And Perth Fringe is actually, I think, the third biggest fringe festival in the world. And I was doing like a comedy show there and I saw this burlesque performance. Um, It's actually linked in the story. Uh, It was a burlesque performer called Scarlett Adams and they did this just unutterably beautiful like dance, I guess. And I basically describe the dance in the fic. Like if you if you read my description of Draco's burlesque and then go watch the video, you will see that I have more or less just described Scarlett Adams' act and then like thrown in a bit of demented imagery. So uh, it really caught my imagination. Uh, I just thought it was so graceful and, and beautiful um, and I wanted to write it down. And I guess it just made sense for it to be Draco. And then I had to think about, okay, well, what gets Draco to that point? Uh, and then that's how I wrote the fic. So with his burlesque friends, uh, there's this running joke, right, that the burlesque friends will ask Draco how he got his scars and he tells a different story each time. Um, And each time it has like a hint of truth, but not the whole truth. Something I think a lot about is approaches to talking about trauma. Um, Historically, the main approach that people used was don't talk about trauma. And then we decided that was bad. And now we want to talk about trauma. Um, I can't help but feel that there's some kind of middle way here. My mother told me this very 
<laughs> cool anecdote. It's a it's an 18th century um, carriage. This is I think this actually happened. She like read it in someone's diary or something. Uh, it's like an 18th century carriage with um, like two Frenchmen and two Britishmen, and they were they were like driving over the Alps in this carriage. And as the carriage went down these treacherous roads, at one point they lost control of the horse and the carriage almost goes off the edge of the road and the Frenchmen are just shrieking their French heads off, just being like, sacre bleu, you know, uh, but the Englishmen bravely and nobly, you know, purse their lips, sweat on the brow, but they don't make a peep of sound. They are so brave and noble. Uh, And then the next day, the Frenchmen are completely over it. They're fine. They're like, wasn't that funny yesterday? The Englishmen are absolutely traumatized, right? They, they're like going to be thinking about this for months to come, uh, which I thought was was kind of interesting because I think there's a degree of truth to that, right? I think you know talking about trauma can help you make sense of it. Uh, I also think though that there is such thing as talking about trauma too easily um, and too much. This is something I've thought a lot about um, since moving back to America. Because in America, uh, people use their trauma as small talk. It's it's very disorienting, right? You'll be at a party. And uh, just to specify, I guess I'm really talking about, you know, big cities rather than America as a monolith. Uh, I'm talking specifically about Los Angeles. But I'd be at a party and there'd be a girl and she'd come up to you and she'd be like, what's your name? My name's Tasha. I have bulimia. And you'd be like, cool and they'd be like my therapist says that my dad fucked me over by not loving me enough and i'd be like do you want some guacamole like god (laughs) and it's like this bizarre thing of uh a vulnerability without intimacy which reminds me of like one night stands like it's the conversational equivalent of having sex with someone you met 10 minutes ago in a bathroom right and it i find it uh, very very um disorienting as I said yeah you don't quite know how to respond and I think it's interesting because often these people are talking about very genuine real traumas but the casual way in which they discuss the trauma makes you the listener interpret it as a less than real trauma because it the the form doesn't match the content right the content is genuine sadness the form is casual jokes at a party and so then I think what ends up happening is that they don't get the response that they're looking for uh, I think and I think that that must be just I I don't know I, I think that would make me unhappy to talk to someone about a deep wounding sadness and have someone go oh cool anyway what are you doing on Tuesday like I think I would find that distressing So Draco does something similar, right? He talks about this deep wound of his, right, which is um, both emotional and physical, the scars on his face. But he doesn't talk about them in their entirety. He doesn't tell the actual full story. He finds a way, I think, of making the scars and the way he deals with the scars part of his persona. Uh, And kind of, yeah, I don't know, is that healthy? Probably not. This is one of my favourite fics of mine. Uh, I think because Harry and Draco are just friends. They're just really good friends in this story. Um, it, it really isn't an enemies to lovers story. It's really a friends to lovers story. And I, I think that friendship is one of the most romantic things. I was just, um, I'm watching Bridgerton along with everyone else. And uh, there's that great moment where the Duke gives this long speech about how friendship is the most important part of marriage to the Queen. Uh, And I was like, yes, correct. And 
I do like romances without friendship sometimes. I think Astolat writes some really excellent fics in which uh, Harry and Draco fall in love without friendship and they're, they're very, very romantic, but they don't speak to me as much. Um, I, I find the most romantic thing to be two people who just, you can just tell that even once they stop being passionately in love, even once they stop wanting to touch each other all the time, they're still going to just have such a nice time. So I think that the heart of this story is the friendship between Harry and Draco. And therefore, at the end of the story, I just feel very confident that they're going to have a very long and healthy and happy relationship. But what's interesting about it is that I don't actually think that Harry is necessarily better for Draco than Michael. I really think it's about timing. If Harry and Draco had been dating while Draco was on lots of drugs, that relationship would have been destroyed. And then Draco would have ended up with someone else. Right. It's just about the fact that Harry and Draco came together at a point when they were both ready to be with someone. And sometimes that happens. You know, you just you you can meet the right person at the wrong time. What a mundane thing to say. I apologize. I haven't read that many drug recovery fix. I'll be honest. I find drugs interesting. I find ex-drug addicts interesting. I think I find the process of quitting drugs boring. And the other thing is that in drug recovery fix, uh, there's often a lot of like so-and-so supporting the drug addict and that makes all the difference. And I'm not saying that it doesn't make a difference. Um, I just think that, you know, drug addiction has to be resolved by the addict, not by the addict's super sexy, nice boyfriend. Only tangentially related, I have to tell you about a study I read about once. It was done on rats. And the study was um, they had two sets of rats. And some of the rats were put in this cage which had nothing in. They were like in rat isolation, which is hard for rats. Rats love being around other rats. And um, they should move to New York. Anyway, they uh, so these lonely rats in isolated cages and they had food, water and cocaine water. And the rats all got horribly addicted to cocaine. But then another set of rats were put in like rat paradise. It had like rat slides, like rat climbing walls, hangout spaces for the rats to socialize with other rats, like tickling booths. I don't know. They they designed this, you know, rat paradise, as I said. And then there was also cocaine water. And the rats in the rat paradise would sometimes go and have a sip of cocaine water and then be like, cool, I've done that. Back to the slide, baby. They didn't get addicted because the point is that most of the time people who get really seriously addicted to drugs are escaping something. They are in the rat prison, not the rat paradise. If everything's going absolutely fucking great in your life, why would you get super, super addicted to cocaine? I'm not saying it never happens, but um, I think that certainly in Draco's case, he has this he's in a rat prison, right? He's miserable. And so he escapes using the drugs and only once he quits the drugs and finds a way to make his rat cage more like a rat paradise is he able to really be free of the drugs and actually be a good boyfriend and friend to Harry. I've just trademarked rat paradise as a band name, so don't even think about it. That said, Harry is very supportive of Draco in this fic. uh, And I think for me, one of the most meaningful ways that Harry supports Draco is it's really little. It's when... um, Draco comes over to Harry's house and Harry has like a million different non-alcoholic beverages to offer him. 
And Draco's really touched by it because that's not something people think of very often, I think. Um, if you know someone in your life who has ceased to drink um, alcohol, not water, if they've ceased to drink water, you need to interfere soon. <laughs> but um, if you know someone who's an, who's an alcoholic, who recovered alcoholic, uh, yeah, lovely thing to do. Make sure that you always provide them with non-alcoholic drinks or go places where they can have non-alcoholic drinks uh it's just such a small thing but i think it i think when harry does that to draco it's very meaningful to him so yeah it's not that i think that um harry saves draco and i don't think harry could have saved draco you can't save someone from an addiction um but he is good he's good at being a good friend to draco after draco has done most of the hard work himself Lucius has a very brief cameo as Balesque stage mom uh, Lucius, which was a joy. Uh, and by the way, this is makes me think of uh, Miyaka Grew Up is a fan artist on Tumblr who does these comics of campy Lucius. And it's just Lucius Malfoy, but he is just adorable. He's like not a regular mom. He's a cool mom. Uh, and they're so good. So do look those up. They're really, really funny. I don't think I ever write a really, really, really nasty Lucius because I think canonically speaking, he clearly does love Draco in his own way. But um, it was very fun to try out this. He's obviously a shitty dad, right? I mean, clearly. But um, the ways in which you can be a shitty dad are so varied. And I love the idea that like he wholeheartedly supports Draco's burlesque, you know, path. But is incredibly critical and judgmental about it all the same and he's just found a new way to make Draco feel like shit like he's being supportive but also is just such a pain of a dad uh so I thought that was quite fun for me to write another character who was fun to write was Anika the the drug dealer that Draco briefly calls on when he has his like panicked relapse drug friends uh they're very vibrant aren't they they're sort of more vivid um and exciting than real friends but they're not real friends they are they are bad times uh yeah, drug friends was something I, I kind of wanted to explore in this fic, you know, the friendship that uh, Draco has with Dean and the friendship he has clearly with Anika, who Anika, you know, I hope I tried to write her as like, she's a nice gal. She's she's friendly. She's sweet. Uh, she's got a lot going on, right? Anika probably has her own elaborate story that we haven't seen much of. Uh, and same with Dean. And these drug friendships um, are are very frightening, I think. Because it's someone who sees you at your worst and also has the best ever times with you. But they just keep dragging you down and everyone's just going downhill fast. And it's like just this massive group of people who are, who are sinking and kind of trying to stop each other from sinking by using each other. And it, it's just, um, there's so much to unpack. I mean, I, I don't think I even scratched the surface of, of drug friendships. But... Um, Generally speaking, I think it's pretty hard to preserve drug friendships once drugs have been removed from the equation. And that's sad also, right? And I think that that's something that Draco talks about is that Dean is someone who shares all of his memories of being 18 to 22, these kind of, you know, magical, formative, youthful years. And yet his years are locked up in someone who he can't be friends with really anymore and who only has blurry, confusing memories of them. And that's so sad because there's something about someone knowing you when you were young and and they serve as like a vault of memories for you right and I think that if you spend years doing drugs only having drug friends you 
you like lose access to that vault. You lose access to those youthful memories. And that's such a, you know, form of grief that I think you you experience at the other end of the addiction. I fucked up some of the accents in this. Uh, and that, by the way, there's a running problem I have whilst doing this podfix, which is that I apparently can do sort of 5,000 plus posh accents and precisely two working class accents. And I don't want to only write stories about posh people uh, or write stories not about posh people, but then not voice them correctly. Uh, it's just, it's a whole mangled mess, to be honest with you. But one thing I discovered was... Um, halfway so I'd, I had voiced Michael as having uh like a not posh accent and then halfway through the story I was reading and I I had written that he's posh and I was like fuck so I just cut that line um so it was very sneaky of me and then the other thing was I I voiced Ursula Draco's friend Ursula as being I gave her kind of a posh accent but then I had this anecdote which Draco tells in which Draco kept asking Ursula where her parents second house was and uh, Ursula didn't have a second house because her parents lived in a flat in Peckham. So I'm not sure I gave her the right accent either. Uh, so all I can say is, please forgive me. I am doing my best. I am sure my best is not good enough. My husband just asked me about the taxi driver accent in that excellent anecdote I gave up top. Uh, the taxi driver accent, I have to tell you, in the moment was utterly unplaceable. Some kind of Eastern European country, I think. But I take, that's not my fault, right? That is that fucking taxi driver had an absolutely unplaceable accent. This fic is a classic example of me not actually writing plot on purpose because it came up naturally in conversation that Harry was an aura and was working on this case. And that was just something that was, um, you know, filling the conversation, right? Uh, obviously, Draco works at an art gallery, so he talks about his art gallery. Harry works as an aura, so he talks about his cases. Unfortunately, then, against my own will, the case just comes to life and then, you know, kidnaps Draco. Uh, it really felt very natural. And um, I'm very pleased with how that turned out because I think it didn't seem as um, out of the blue as it certainly felt to me when it happened. And suddenly I was like, oh, I think Draco just got kidnapped. Um, but that's my favorite way to write plot is, is for it to just grow naturally out of what you've discovered about the characters. My husband just asked me if I think I've improved at writing plot from writing all these fan fictions. And I, I, uh, I don't, my instinct is no, I don't think I have improved at plot because I don't feel like I'll ever improve at plot. But uh, I do think the comments are really, really useful, right? Because it's so cool to be writing something and to have people, especially when you're writing it as you put it up and people making their guesses and so you can then be like, ah, so that's the kind of twist that people see coming. This is the kind of twist that people don't see coming. Uh, and that's just so, so it's like such useful information as a writer. Um, yeah, so I mean, hopefully, hopefully that will have improved my original writing. But uh, who knows? Who knows? I actually had an easy time thinking of fix to recommend uh, based on if you liked Can I Tell You Something. I'm not going to recommend uh, any drug fix because unfortunately I, I really don't read very many. There are some good ones out there, uh, but they're just not as much my wheelhouse. Um, so the two I'll recommend. So the first one is Fluxweed wrote a fic recently called Adventures in Truth and Texting. It is an entirely text fic uh, so it's it's a really quick read. Uh, the premise is that Draco has been cursed 
by this like truth telling curse. So he has to tell the truth all the time. And Harry's on the case solving it for him. And so they exchange numbers so that Harry can keep him up to date on the curse. Unfortunately, that does mean that Draco is going to just start telling him all the things he thinks at all times via text. It's great. It's fun. Uh, just a lovely quick read. Incidentally, I've been meaning to say um, it's quite difficult to figure out how to render text messages in a podfic. So the technique I have used is if you're listening on headphones, you'll notice that Harry's text will come through one ear and Draco's through another. Um, obviously, that doesn't really work if you're listening on your laptop. But uh, if you have any sort of remarks to make about that, like whether it works or not, I'd be very grateful to hear back on that because, you know, I can always find a different way of doing it if it's actually a bit of a pain for listeners. The other fic that I want to recommend, uh, and I may have recommended it before because I do just really like it, uh, is by Ignatius Trout. It's called, I have, I've totally recommended it before. Anyway, whatever. It's called, uh, here's the pencil, make it work. And it is about Draco works at a coffee shop, a muggle coffee shop, and he lives with a bunch of muggle girls. And Harry is at a complete loose end doing nothing with his life. And he becomes obsessed with like Draco in the muggle world. And uh, the reason I'm recommending it, again, is that they have such a lovely friendship. They they become really close friends. And then the source of the angst really comes from Harry not having told his other friends about Draco and their like new best friendship. Uh, and it's a really beautiful, beautiful thick. So I like to recommend uh, a few books to read. So for this one, I was thinking, what are some books about drugs? Because uh, I know I said I didn't read fics about drugs, but I do read books about drugs. Uh, so here are my recommendations for those. They're mainly classics. So um, I would say probably the most classic book about drugs is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. It's a bit of a mad book. Uh I can't even really remember what happens because it really recreates that feeling of just like a drug fueled weekend where everything is very confusing and hallucinatory. So I think it's just about two dudes in Las Vegas on lots of drugs. Uh, I remember enjoying it when I read it when I was like 16. Maybe that's the right time to read it. It's possible that it's one of those books that you have to read young. Another book that you have to read young, in my opinion, is On the Road by Jack Kerouac, which... Um, I think is actually, I think I preferred it to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, on the Road is about a bunch of white dudes who like, I don't know, go on the road. Uh, it's very sexist, like heads up. I think there's like one female character and she sucks. She's so annoying. Everyone just wants to fuck her and that's it. That's her purpose. Uh, they spend a lot of time in Denver. But what I like about it as a book uh, is that it, it really captures that feeling of being young and having just found your people and it just all feels so cool. Like you're just like, oh, great. These people are glamorous and I love them and I want to be like them and they're so interesting and I want to capture them. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of kind of drugs in the background of this book, but that's really what it's about. It's about finding your people as a young person. So it's it's incredibly obnoxious, but I think it's worth it despite that. Uh I don't know how it would work if you read that book for the first time after about the age of 25. I think it it might not hold up. A slightly more um, readable book about drugs is Carrie Fisher's Postcards from the Edge, which is really, really funny. I'm actually not, I don't think it is a novel. I think it's like an autobiography. Um, she's hilarious, Carrie Fisher. And um, the book is just very funny. And it's all about her sort of deterioration into drugs as a young woman. Um, and it's 
funny and it's great and it's by a woman. So it's sort of a, a nice counter to those very, very masculine books I mentioned before. Chris just said I should remind you who Carrie Fisher is in case you've never heard of I just don't know how many people Star, Wars. Star Wars. If you haven't ever heard of Star Wars. Yeah, but Okay, shush. Settle down. Uh Carrie Fisher is Princess Leia. She's also dead, RIP, but um very funny writer. Her mother was in Singing in the Rain. Just a fun fact. Um the final book I will recommend, and it's not really a book about drugs. It's a book about parties is uh Vile Bodies by Evelyn War. I'm in a bit of an Evelyn War phase of my life right now, um, which is frankly embarrassing. Let's be honest. Liking Evelyn Waugh is a bit like being very, very into F. Scott Fitzgerald and thinking that like your 1920s themed party is going to be really glamorous. Like, I'm not saying it won't be, but it probably won't be. Um, so yeah, Evelyn Waugh, embarrassing. But Vile Bodies is so good, you guys. It's just about a bunch of people in the 20s who party too much. Let me read you this um, this extract from it which is my, whenever I'm trying to write a bunch of parties, I always go back to this paragraph to remind myself of like what kinds of parties you can have. Oh, Nina, what a lot of parties. Masked parties, savage parties, Victorian parties, Greek parties, Wild West parties, circus parties, parties where you have to dress as somebody else, almost naked parties in St. John's Wood, parties in flats and studios and houses and ships and hotels and nightclubs in swimming baths and windmills, dances in London so dull, comic dances in Scotland and disgusting dances in the suburbs, all that succession and repetition of massed humanity, all those vile bodies, and now a party in a mental hospital. So, Vile Bodies, just a book about a bunch of people partying too much in the 20s, it's very fun. Uh, and this is probably a decent time to mention that uh, I'm going to be trying something new in the next like month or two uh, where I'm going to do a separate like a standalone episode where I'm going to talk about literature that I like uh, and the first episode is going to be dedicated to Brideshead Revisited specifically my favorite section of Brideshead Revisited which is Anthony Blanche's uh, absolutely rambling and bizarre speech that he gives um, towards the beginning of the novel so what I'm going to do is I'll read his long long monologue and discuss it and talk about the ways in which it's influenced me uh, and I imagine everyone will hate this and not listen to it and then I will return cowering to my box and never emerge again so um, that's what I anticipate will happen. But maybe someone will listen to it, which would be very um, affirming for me. But anyway, uh, that's the plan. Vile Bodies, very good. Uh, go ahead and read all those books about drugs if you want to. The fic I'm going to be reading next is Teenage Wasteland, which is the fic I just put out. It was part of Erezed, uh, which is an anonymous fest. So at first it didn't have my name attached to it. Teenage Wasteland is about... Uh, Draco basically having to uh, take care of a teenage girl and um, there's domestic abuse and some implied child sexual abuse and some alcoholism but I promise it's not as non-fun as that sounds it's actually quite nice I, I swear it's, it's quite a nice story uh, anyway so that's the one I'm going to be reading next yeah it's it's a weird thing because um, yeah the, the themes are very dark but to be honest it's it's a very sad first chapter and then the rest of the fic it just keeps getting nicer I think I think it's it, it from about halfway through it's just a long fluffy ending so uh if you're concerned about the themes you could always skip the first chapter and come and join in for the second episode 
if you don't know how uh, the Erised Fest works, it's like a gift fest. So um, you get assigned a person and you write the fic as a gift. So my gift was for someone called Wilet Wiltshire. And they had like a list of things that they got on their sign up things they wanted and it was so much fun because they were very open-ended but the main thing they wanted was hurt slash comfort and I was like that is my jam I can do that so um the fic is absolutely hurt comfort it is it hurts you and then it comforts you again what an intelligent thing to say Gala well done Thank you so much for listening to this uh, rather long bonus episode. I really appreciate it. Don't forget, you can always sign up to my newsletter at newsletter.gallopod.com, which is such a joy. I start like writing them in my head ages before I send them, but I've I've decided only to send them out once a month because I'm really paranoid about uh, spamming people. So um, it would be a once monthly email from me. uh, And it's it's lovely when people sign up so please do um and you can always leave a rating and a review on the apple podcast app i'm also on instagram as i am sure you know by now at let them eat books with underscores instead of spaces thank you so much for listening and i'll see you next week for teenage wasteland